Hey there, welcome to Nice Work, podcast of the Super Nice Club, where we're just trying to make the world 10% nicer. And uh, I'm having a root beer. Yep, I'm having a Henry Weinhardt's root beer. It's not a plug for Henry Weinhardt's root beer, it's just uh, I like root beer, especially honey based root beers like Weinhardt's and Sprecher's. Mm. I'm also spilling it all over. Anyway, you can learn more about the Super Nice Club at our website. You can check out at Super Nice Club on Instagram or Facebook. You can text Nice Work right now to 310-421-0393. 310-421-0393. I know you're not writing it down. Nobody is. It's okay. But if you did do that, you would join our Super Nice Club Insider community and get invited to events, giveaways, local gatherings, you know, post-COVID, all kinds of stuff. We give away stuff all the time. Matter of fact, uh, today just gave away a Gravity Falls little dipper um, figurine. Yesterday gave away some Super Nice Club shirts. Why Gravity Falls stuff? I don't know. Why not? Right? Anyway, if you want, when you text, you can ask for a discount code on our super nice gear, shirts, stickers, jackets, uh, all kinds of stuff, hats that help you spread the word around the simple idea of making the world a nicer place. In fact, if your nice merchandise doesn't help start super nice conversations, you get your money back. No problem. Great way to, you know, make new friends. On the podcast, this week's guest is kind of been a hero of mine for a long time, Florian Doc Caps. Um, Doc is the guy who saved Polaroid. Yeah, Polaroid Photography, Polaroid, the big company, the brainchild of genius Edwin Land. Edwin Land being a man who Steve Jobs kind of copied everything from, from the original Apple logo to the way he set up the R&D as company to the marketing, even the Apple stores were modeled after the the Polaroid pop-up stores from back in the day. Yeah, did you know that? Maybe not. Anyway, Polaroid was almost gone until Doc decided to save it, which he did. And we're going to get into that in this episode. We're going to get into what happened, the history. We're also going to get into his current project, which is based in beautiful Vienna, Austria. We'll learn about SuperSense. We'll talk about analog versus digital. Uh, Does one supplant the other or are they cooperative, collaborative takes on human expression and and how we archive those expressions, how we store them? Doc's work is, I think it's pivotal because we're at a pivotal moment right now. Documentaries like Social Influence that are getting into our real big addiction to social media are really are really exposing us to some big questions around how we navigate the digital world and how maybe pulling a few of the tools from the past can really help us and can really help us make the best of our digital future. So turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, all of it, just just get into your headphones or your speakers and don't get distracted and drop in to nice work with Doc Caps. Florian, Doc, Caps, welcome to the Nice Work Podcast. Really great to have you on. Yeah, it's a big honor. Welcome to everybody. So where are you right now? I'm right now um, sitting in, in 
an apartment uh, in the middle of Vienna, above our um, analog palace. That's the SuperSense Palace, right? Yeah, that's a crazy, crazy building. Um, some really crazy guy um, always wanted to have a Venetian palace in the middle of Vienna. So he, he built one and everybody hated it. Uh, it's, it, it. All of this happened in the end of the 19th century. So um, I discovered this building about 10 years ago and I was immediately attracted by its, its crazy energy and I simply had to open some, uh, you know, my old dream, the most analog headquarters uh, of the world here at this crazy palace. It's beautiful in the photos. It really is. It's just a lot of architectural detail work and your, the SuperSense uh, projects, which we'll get into a little bit later, just look so perfect in there. It's, it's, the, it's just a match made in heaven. You know, it, it, it's a crazy mixture and, and even the architecture, you know, this guy uh, was totally, you know, out of his mind and he mixed all different kinds of styles and whatever he liked to do and we just continued to do exactly the same. I was going to say, it sounds a lot like you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, if he's like my brother. So I said, okay, this cannot end up as a headquarter of, of, you know, a boring brand. We have to fill this with all the things that we love and, and, and always wanted to try mixing. Um, so that's exactly what we did. Let's go back to the beginning a little bit. While, yes, you are the man who saved Polaroid, before that, before we talk about Polaroid and then move on to what you're doing now, this is an interesting note that I picked up the other day. You love spiders. Is that right? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not in deep love with spiders, but I spent uh, almost 10 years um, looking into spiders' eyes because, you know, I, I studied biology for a long time. And um, the question was, uh, why do we have a spider eight highly developed ears? Mm -hmm. uh, ears, not ears, eyes. Um, <laughs> Because if you paint all of them, the, the spider behave exactly the same. So nobody knows why spider, spiders do have eight eyes. And I said, okay, this is my first impossible project. I have to find out why these spiders have these eyes. And it's a very difficult question because you cannot ask the spiders. So I had to came up with a lot of, of uh, tricks uh, to find out. And what did you find out? Oh, this is a this is a very good question. Um, everybody asked me this, these questions after this, um, you know, almost ten years. Um, I think uh, they they just use the eyes uh, in in case of emergency. So there's it's their basically emergency fallback system to ah. detect trees and to escape from their from their um, from their uh, foes, so to say. So just redundant, 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 redundancy. You know, just, just one very important um, aspect to save their asses in, yeah. in emergencies. And uh, still this is, you know, the most important thing that, that you have. And um, this is, you know, also a very good connection to, to what we are doing now because it's our own five senses, you know, all of them. Um, they are the only reason that we are still sitting here and talking. You need your five senses to survive in this world. It's the same with the spider eyes and maybe the same situation that sometimes you think, why do we still have a nose if, you know, we don't really need it. But the fact is without our noses and our, all of our senses, we are fucked. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So is, and is that where SuperSense, the, the name of your company came in? Yeah, that's exactly um, why, why we call it SuperSense because we said, hey, people, wake up. You know, digital has a lot of advantages, but at the end of the day, everything is behind the glass screen. You can see it and you can hear it, but you, know, you never can smell it or touch it or lick it. And this, this is a side effect you have to be aware of because um, you need all your five senses to really be an act and survive as a human being. So never forget about it. Trust your senses. And SuperSense is a place created in order to fall in love with the potential of your own five senses and also to train and learn about the existence of your senses. Oh, I love that. You know, it's an interesting, an interesting thing with, with the human senses and with digital analog, which we'll talk a lot about in this conversation because it's, it's, I just, we're at such a, an interesting point in humanity where we are moving from our senses to, you know, the surrogate senses, I guess you might say with the digital, right? And studies have shown that, and you're probably aware of this, but if you look at a photograph on a printed piece of paper and you look at the same photo on a screen, one is reflected light, right? The paper, the, the sunlight is reflecting off the paper and into our eyes. The other is projected light where the screen is projecting into our eyes. And the human brain has developed for what? you know, how, how, how old are we? Millions of years old? Uh, under reflected light. And so we gather much more information and memory. Uh, we store memories much better when we look at a photograph or we read on printed paper than we do from screens. So getting an idea of how our senses interact with the digital world is super important work, especially as we're teaching a whole generation of humans now mostly on screens where they are not able to uh, access as deep of information or retain the information as long. It's a, it's a challenge for us, for sure. You know, there's many, many other aspects, you know, but you know, in the, same, in the same line of what you mentioned, for example, our best memory is connected to our smell system. Smell system mm -hmm. is our most important and you know, longest lasting uh, memory system. So, without smelling the stuff, you know, we have very hard times to really uh, remember long-term. The same if you listen to music stored or converted into an MP3 format, which basically has been invented to cut out information of the sound wave mm -hmm. so that the brain, you know, still can reconnect this information and make music out, out of it. So that means if you listen to MP3, your brain has to work all the time. So it's exhausting compared to really um, listening to the complete sound wave of your stereo or, you know, turntable system, mm -hmm. then you are relaxing. So, um, again, this is not to say digital is evil, but to say, hey, there are some side effects that you should be aware of because, you know, let's start discussing of how we can combine the advantages of digital with the advantages of, of you know, reality. And uh, this is very important. Do you watch Black Mirror? Yeah, sometimes. Uh, you know, it, it's a little desperate. You know, it's <laughs> it's you know, depressing. Sometimes. Yeah, it's hard to watch. You, you watch them; they never leave you feeling happy. Um, I watch maybe an episode every month. The one I watched just a couple of days ago talked uh, touched on what you just said. There's a 
there were this insurance investigator was going around and helping people with their memories that they saw an accident. So she put a little digital thing on the side of their head, which, you know, let them read the people's minds basically. But to really get the memory, the strong memory, what did she do? She put, um, because the accident happened in front of a pub, she put a bottle of beer under the subject's noses so that they could smell and come into the scene and activate the memory. Very is a very analog plus high-tech digital combination in the episode. But I think, you know, that's, that's, uh, that, that's the way we have to go. Um, and uh, that, that is why I'm also so angry about, you know, all these companies that are, became super rich and, you know, the, in the digital world because um, they, they don't react to that. You know, they, they you know, still, still behave um, in a very strange way. Backing up a minute... When did you get turned on to, I really just want to give people this overview because you did an amazing thing. You took on an impossible project and you already mentioned it earlier. You said to your, you said, you know, this was my first impossible project, this this spider eye thing. And you have a history of taking on the impossible. One of them called the impossible project. And that was um, whether you want to call it saving or reviving um, Polaroid, the Polaroid company, Polaroid film to be exact. I just, can we do just sort of a, a real quick review of what happened there, how you got into that? Yeah, basically, um, this one, of, honestly speaking, for me, was not at all impossible because it started, you know, step by step. Um, the first step was that I became, I fell in love with Polaroid, you know, on the flea market, took my first picture, really liked it, and then, you know, started to do some research and I found, okay, nobody's taking care of that. You know, it's very hard to get film, but still, you know, it's, it's out there. So I, I went to Polaroid and said, hey, something's going on there. Uh, we have to start, you know, connecting these amazing materials with the next generation, with the young photographers. And they were not interested, but they agreed um, to, to give me the global rights of selling Polaroid film online. So I was the first guy who had these crazy ideas back then to open an online shop so that people, you know, all around the world could, could understand, learn about and purchase Polaroid film. And at the same time, uh, we opened a, a website so the people who purchase the film can upload their images to create, you know, a, a Polaroid based community. And, this really worked very, very well because, you know, not because we were the best doing it, but because we were the only ones doing it. And mm-hmm. there are so many million of cameras out there. So we had about 40,000 customers all around the world. And then Polaroid decided to stop the production of their, their film. They called me and said, hey, Doc, it has been an amazing party, but, you know, it's over now. We have to grow up and become digital. We closed the factory. And this was the moment when I said, you know, are you stupid? You know, if you, you know, we have to do something. And if you want, don't want to do it, I do it. And then we started fighting for the, for the factory. And um, the luck was that um, the, the um, head of production at the factory, a very nice gentleman called Andre Bosman, he, he really liked my vision. And he, he, he very carefully listened to the new market and, you know, he has produced this film for over 30 years. So he said, we have a small chance that we really can do it. But yeah, that's, 
that's what we did. And uh, Polaroid always said, this is impossible, this is impossible. So I said, okay, let's call it an impossible project, but at least give us the, give us the chance, try doing it. So in 2008, we purchased all the, the machines and the whole factory for the scrap value, which was about 180,000 euro. And mm -hmm. then we spent two years, two crazy years. And uh, in 2010, we, we introduced our first very experimental um, new kind of, of Polaroid film. We have not been allowed to call it Polaroid. It was an impossible film. But then, uh, you know, things really worked out and we got a big investor and it's a long story. But at the end of the day, when you go to the shop now, uh, you can find... Uh, the films again and um, in the in the meantime um, the impossible project bought the, the global brand named polaroid so it's called polaroid film again and this crazy factory that nobody believed in in 2008 um, i think last year uh, we for the first time this factory produced more than three million packs of film so and that's in the netherlands sorry that's in the netherlands and i am i myself i am not um operational uh, any longer in this company there has been a lot of changes there uh, I'm, I'm still a, a minority shareholder of 0.00001 percent or something like that <laughs> because it has become a really huge project with many many millions invested right unfortunately not invested by me or not invested in me no i understand that so this was something, you guys, that was, if you weren't part of the Polaroid community back there, and I, get, I know a lot of listeners are like, what, Polaroid? Yeah, Polaroid. You can still go out there right now, Polaroid.com. You can get film. You can even get cameras. Okay? New cameras, and yeah. New cameras, yeah. Or if you really want to shoot something nice, you can get a refurbished SX-70 on there. Um, there's also one important thing, because the first hardware we did and this is, you know, exactly following up the conversation we had before. The first device we did was a device oh, that you right. can expose your iPhone images onto the Polaroid film. Because I said, we have to connect these two worlds, you know, your best digital shots exposed on Polaroid film. You know, this is the way to go, not just the old cameras. And, yeah, um, and, it, and you were right, you know, that. you should be proud of it. You, you saved the company and even though it's, it's not your baby anymore. You definitely gave birth to that. And when, when, when I ran into you first time online 10 or 12 years ago on the website, Polanoid, that's, that's Polaroid with an N, uh, that was such an important time for me creatively as a photographer. And the community, the Polanoid community, was just so vital. There was just so much feedback, helping one another sort of learn all the tricks and the vagaries of, of the old film, of expiring film, of the new experimental batches, and this camaraderie that just really, I think it had a global impact with, with what was happening with not just Polaroid, but any type of instant film, so that's Fuji as well. I came to England and France, I don't know, maybe 2011 or something, and 15, 20 Polaroid photographers came out to meet me and we just had the best time shooting the streets and the hotel rooms, Paris. Um, and I bring that up, I bring up this Polaroid thing because it was my intro into a really intensely passionate community. This group was almost evangelical in its desire to preserve uh, Polaroid. And it's similar in other old crafts, Polaroid, vinyl records, analog yeah, I, typewriters. I think, I, I think it stood, it stood 
uh, for a lot of things that happened in that days by, you know, the digital kicking in and, and cleaning up more and more stuff and, you know, giving more and more responsibilities or, you know, to the, to the machines, so to say, also in photography. And, and somehow, you know, the accidents disappeared somehow. I think it, it was, and it still is, you know, I don't, you know, I never had been, a, a, you know, a photographer, but, you know, this material that triggers or visualizes mm -hmm. some of the, some of the, the, the changes that, that happens to our society at the moment. I think that's very interesting. That's a good way to put it. it. Digital can remove the accidents, right? And this is why these filters are so popular, especially in photography, because they reintroduce some accidents. They reintroduce some scratches or some lens flares and things like that. So all of this, by the way, you guys, if you want to, and I, I suggest that you do if you're into photography at all, or if you're into just craft check out um there are a couple documentaries one is called the time zero the last days of polaroid which traces doc's story right up until when does that end pretty much right after you open the plant right yeah yeah um, about 2010 and then, and then there's another documentary out there somewhere as well isn't there there is a new one coming oh, okay yeah um, i saw something out there uh, there are some trailers out there. It's called uh, An Impossible Project, and uh, it's it's a crazy documentary, a shot on 35 millimeter film, mm -hmm. starting a long, long time ago. But because you know Jens Meurer, the, the you know the filmmaker from Germany, decided to shoot on 35 millimeter, he ran out of budget every year. So it took basically <laughs> 10 years to to really finish it, and now he's finished and. Uh, now, unfortunately, he cannot show, you know, this 35 millimeter copies anywhere. So it's, but, you know, now the last information I got is finally uh, coming to cinemas in December, hopefully. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, so tell us about SuperSense. That's really what I want to talk about here. SuperSense, your new project, your current project, where you are right now, and you're doing a lot of things out there at SuperSense. What's going on with SuperSense? And are you... Are you um, what? Are you sort of the, the the director of all projects, or you have you gathered individuals with different passions? How does that work? What's the connective tissue at SuperSense? You know, basically, um, SuperSense is like uh, I compare it like to a circus. So it's a circus trying to have uh, a collection of the world's best analog acrobats. So um, we have. The, the, the main question is why do we need real real spaces like you know we opened it's huge space it's it's a crazy space but do we really need real spaces you know in, in the world of online shopping and you know online chatting and whatever so we said uh, we we try and find out it's basically a laboratory and we did a department for each and every sense so uh for taste, for the taste sense, we have a restaurant and a coffee shop. Um, for the smell sense, we have a smell laboratory developed with a Norwegian smell scientist. Uh, we have um, a section for photography, which is, of course, dedicated to, to Polaroid photography. Um, we have a, a very big print uh, and, and paper making uh, department and we have um, a music department where we not just celebrate and sell vinyl records, but we basically produce, we cut our own vinyl records. So this is how we started. And um, I brought in 
um, experts for uh, basically to lead each and every department because you know you need specialists in order to take the next steps and mm-hmm. um, hand in hand with these specialists many many projects uh, have been triggered or happened so for example the the f- photographic department um, is not just selling Polaroid but you know we uh, two two years ago we started to uh, hand produce uh, a very very special kind of instant film that Fuji stopped doing. So the, the back film, the old peel apart system. So again, they said, okay, uh, this thing cannot die, uh, and we accept that no big company wants to produce it, including Polaroid or the impossible project that we basically created. So we said, we said, you know, let's do it on our own. Let's build the cartridges out of cardboard boxes, and you know try to see how, how far we can get. So, so this is, just to point this out, Polaroids have essentially uh, two different types of film that you guys are familiar with seeing over the years. One is the kind that just shoots out, shoots out of the camera, okay? Um, and then there's the other, which Doc just referenced, which is pack film. And you don't see this around as much, but you've probably seen it. It's the film where somebody takes a picture they pull this big sheet out of the back of the Polaroid or other camera that has a Polaroid back, and then they peel it open. So it's called peel apart or pack film. So if you remember that, this is the type of film that Doc is talking about um, resurrecting. And this is a film that nope, that Fuji was making for some time after. And then when they discontinued, everybody's been out of luck. And the basically people snapped it up at 10 bucks a pack, and now they're selling it for what, 50 bucks a pack? things like that. Or yeah, more. 50 to 60 bucks. If you really want to spend a lot on old pack film, the old impossible project, <laughs> uh, Chaco and the blue stuff, beautiful film, experimental film, and it's going for crazy prices. So doc now has re-engineered something along with there's, there's a partner of yours sort of this genius photo film guy. What's his name? There are several partners, you know, uh, in this project, this is one of the secrets of super sense, you know, we try to build networks of specialists, you know, and this is also one of the advantages of the internet. So as we, we should not only talk about the disadvantages of digital, but you know, one of the biggest advantage is that you can connect with all the other crazy ones out there. So this was always key to our success for impossible. And also now for one instant, uh, how we call this, this spectrum project. So there is these old guys um, in Ashland that, are you know former Polaroid engineers that still do incredible work in the big big format um, film production, and then there are young guys, and there is a, a, a guy, guy called Uwe, um, and ah, the, a guy doing. called Chris, uh, that you know are the young guys that that you know they dive into the this this this, this technology and they combine with digital technologies and then they come up with solutions that you know are mind blowing. So if you're out there and you have an old pack film camera, go to SuperSense, get some of this film. I have some in my hand right now, actually, and it's beautiful stuff. It's, it's very different. You get, you know, it's one shot at a time instead of a pack of 10. But that also makes the process more methodical, more thoughtful, uh, at least for me. If you have something that you want to set up and take a meticulous photo of, it's beautiful stuff. Um, you know what's really cool? <laughs> And I can't afford it. And even if I could, I don't know what I would do with it. But SuperSense is selling a home vinyl 
record making machine. How does that work? Do you just put your MP3 into it or what, what is the, it's, it's incredible. It's mesmerizing to look at it on the site. I've watched this loop many times. This, this is, you know, this is, this is the outcome um, of, of our vinyl record project. So I always want, I mean, you know, everybody who loves Polaroid is in love with vinyl records. So, mm -hmm. but then I found out, including myself, nobody exactly knows how a record is produced. So this always has been a black box. Exactly like, you know, nobody really knows how a Polaroid works. So I was really attracted by that. And I found uh, a guy, a Swiss young guy, who is, you know, he's lord of the vinyl groove. He's the world leading expert. Um, and he knows everything about vinyl record. And not just he knows about it, he started building uh, machines that can cut vinyl records. So you have to know, usually when you produce a vinyl record, the first step is always to cut the sound wave into a groove, into a so-called master record. But usually you never listen to the master record, but you put it into the plating process to create a stamper. And with the stamper, you can then, you know, press a lot of vinyls. But, you know, the, this original cut vinyl, you know, when you listen to it, um, it's amazing. It's outstanding. So the first time I had the pleasure to listen to such a master record, I said, is there not a chance that we, you know, develop a machine that everybody can cut his own vinyl records? Because this would be amazing. Um, and you even can just produce one or two or ten records uh, because if you press the records, it doesn't make any sense uh, if you want to produce less than let's say thousand records. So mm -hmm. this basically, this idea, these questions, I came up um, during a long night with a lot of beer with the Swiss inventor. Unfortunately, he and his guys really took it serious and they put uh, you know, a demonstrator on my desk uh, about one year later and this demonstrator was so amazing that we, we had to start another impossible project uh, called Phonocut, and which is the development of basically a machine that looks like a, a desktop printer, but in fact, it's a vinyl cutting machine. So you can just plug in any, any source of sound, including your iPhone, your keyboard, your guitar, whatever, in a, in a mini check, and then push one button. So it's idiot proof, that was important for me, so I can use it myself. You push one button, and it in real time cuts your high quality vinyl record that right after that you can put on any channel and listen to it. And you sell the, the blanks, they're 10 inch blanks, right? I, you know, we sell the machine, they are currently on pre-sale on our website, mm -hmm. uh, and then you know, we additionally sell the blanks, um, which are you know, about 10 US, um, and, uh, you know, our dream is that, you know, really to put the power back into the hands of the creatives. You don't need a label. You don't need a recording studio, yeah. you know, just, you know, doing on your laptop or playing at home, you can create a product, uh, and sell it to your fans. And so check it out, guys. There's a number of you that have bands that, that are listening to this podcast. I know you're out there. I know who you are. These machines, think about it. They're a little expensive, you know, I don't know, three or 4,000, um, something like that. 2,500 at the moment. Okay, 2,500. Do a Kickstarter. Do a Kickstarter. Get your fans to buy one of these machines for you 
and a hundred blanks and the blanks, you know, you're spending less than $10 each and vinyl goes for 20, 25 now when you're buying it at shows to profit source. And it's just a beautiful thing. You can, you can create your own labels, your own artwork, all this kind of stuff. If I had a band, which I don't never will, I'm musically utterly illiterate, but I love to yeah, listen but to you it. Can, you can also, you know, uh, produce these podcasts as a limited edition vinyl record series. It That's doesn't have amazing. to be music. You're selling me. You are selling me. <laughs> okay, I'm going to start again. Hey, super nice club fans. Uh, I think it's a great idea. If you want to donate, anybody has 2,500, they want to donate for uh, a pod, the, the podcast vinyl machine. No, seriously, this <laughs> machine is incredible. Check it out at SuperSense. And if you're a, an audiophile, you know that with that a, that a record player with wired speakers, obviously if you're using Bluetooth, you're losing a lot of fidelity no matter what your system. Um, they just sound beautiful. And like Doc said earlier, somehow more relaxing. And it might sound like we're being Luddites, but there is a truth to this. And it's just, it's an experiential truth. It's something that you have to just, just listen to for yourself. There's a scene in the, the documentary I mentioned earlier, Time Zero, The Last Days of Polaroid, You'll probably remember this doc, and I don't remember the name of the fellow, but he's a, a media expert, maybe at MIT or Stanford, um, like a physical media expert. And he's discussing the limited lifespan of modern formats. You know, CDs, they just last a few decades. Hard drives, a few years. Flash drives, these things don't hold their data for very long. And the cloud doesn't hold anything at all. You know, it's, it's one big sun burst sunspot flare away from being wiped out so but vinyl uh, and paper these things can last a thousand years you know we have scrolls that are that are two thousand years old that are still legible today there's this misconception that digital is much more permanent but in fact our our old technologies have real permanency do you feel there's something important when you're doing your missions super sense and impossible project are you driven at all by a need to preserve the best of what we've, of what we've created? Does that factor in at all? You know, what really drives me and what makes me very, very happy is that, you know, the machines we, we, we bring to life or we keep alive. You know, it's the same with the Polaroid camera or this vinyl cutting machine. They, they enable people to be creative and to create things you know, for eternity and beyond, because this is the footprint we are leaving. And you're totally right. You know, even the, the inventor of the World Wide Web warns us of the dark age, because, you know, we, we create nothing in real. So, uh, you, know, our, you know, we don't leave any traces. So uh, it makes me happy that I at least can, you know, invent some machines and, and you know, give back the power to the people, um, even if it's just, you know, nice notebooks that the people write down their ideas and their visions so they are there in reality and um, can be passed on from generation to generation. What do you say to those who call you a Luddite? You know, does anybody ever make fun of you for not being kept up on contemporary no, technology? No, no. At, at the most about, you know, 4 million people in the last 10 years. No, of course <laughs> they do. You know, but it, it really changed, you know, in 2008, when we purchased the, the Polaroid factory and, you know, we had a family meeting, my wife was really struggling, you know, when the people asked me, hey, what are you doing? And I said, hey, I just bought the last Polaroid factory. Everybody <laughs> said, oh, my God. Oh, nice, nice, you know. But now um, 
this has changed a lot. And, you know, especially the biggest surprise and, the, you know, the most fantastic thing is not that the old idiots like ourselves thought, you know, I'm sorry to tell you, but not us romantic guys who, who cannot, you know, let it go are the ones in control. It's the, the young generation, the generation mm -hmm. who grew up digitally. They are discovering all these materials with an incredible curiosity. They want to touch it, lick it, struggle, fail, you know, and they even want to, you know, pay a lot of money for this shit, you know, because it gives back the value, you know. Everybody said, who will ever, you know, pay $2 or, you know, for one instant, $10 for a shot. But suddenly this makes total sense because you have something that is very, very different than all the 5,000 digital shots you have on your iPhone. It's in your hands and you caress it and you keep it and you have it forever. This is a beautiful turnaround that, you know, that happened. Yeah, it is a very different experience when you make a photo uh, versus take a photo and it's in your hands when you're done you pass it around everybody looks at it wow and this was the advantage not just in 2020 of instant film but this was the advantage in 1971 and and before when uh, the the Polaroid founder and inventor genius Edwin Land came out with instant film it's always been the advantage it's immediate and it's real um, there's just been such a boom, at least here in the States, uh, of just so many small artisan, leather workers, bag makers, shoe makers. It just feels like there's a growing movement. And like you said, especially among younger people, right? To make real things and not necessarily reject digital, but to also add the real things back into their lives. At the same time though, social media creates, you know, billions of literal addicts, myself included, and, and these formerly analog icons like, uh, are you familiar with Burning Man? Uh, big yeah. festival here in the States. You know, they're becoming technotopias, veering completely away from what they were. I feel there's this big tug of war out there. Do you feel that? And do you feel like analog has a chance or is it just something that, is, that you're grabbing onto the tail as it slips away? No way. Uh, I always say, you know, in the beginning, everybody thought uh, digital is going to kill analog as soon as the quality is comparable. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it turned out that digital is the biggest chance that analog ever had to reposition itself and to be combined with the advantages of digital, you know, to make us feel human again. It's, it's you know, just the rediscovery of reality. Um, it's it's not even about digital and analog. It's just about what is real and and what is fake or what is is in the cloud or what is in my hands. You know, everybody has now um, you know had five thousand sexual online relationship watching videos and you know can compare this feeling to having one relationship holding somebody in his arms. You know, there's mm -hmm. two different things, and um, you you even. As always, you need the one to appreciate the other more. You know, there is no there is no weekend without a hard working week. You know, so right. digital and analog they can really have an incredible positive impact to each other. And we finally should start thinking about that and and uh, uh, and and start to use our own you know senses to to find a way out of this you know social dilemma. 
to, to, to just name it as a, this documentary does it on, on Netflix. Yeah, I, I started watching it, um, Social Dilemma, but I paused because I'm going to wait until my far less addicted 17-year-old son uh, is with me to, to watch the rest of it. Kind of wanna, <laughs> That's a good idea. Give him a heads up. You know, it's also interesting with this digital analog is, and not everybody knows, or actually if you're not a Polaroid person, you wouldn't know, but Steve Jobs, uh, the Apple guy, the founder, uh, he had a deep admiration for Polaroid's founder, Edwin Land. And he actually modeled, as you know, almost everything early Apple and later after Polaroid, from the original Apple logo to the Apple stores, you know, because Polaroid yeah, had even his, key, his keynote speeches, his you speeches, know. every bit of his marketing approach. And he doesn't, I mean, he admits it. He says, yes, this inspired me completely. And this inspiration for the ultimate digital guru almost coming from this incredible analog guy. And I, I, they're different men, right? Uh, Edwin Land was a true genius and an inventor, right? With a, with a, uh, you know, a polymath mind. Steve Jobs was a incredible marketing guy, right? So they're different. Um, but I want to ask you, which of these men would you rather have met and had dinner with? You know, I always thinking about that and, um, you know, of course, um, my, my absolute dream come true would be to be part of that one meeting. It has one famous meeting of these two gentlemen in one yeah. room and there's some images on that. But, you know, um, that said, um, I was really hoping that, that to one day meet Steve Jobs because, mm-hmm. um, I'm, you know, I already mentioned this instant lab, uh, which I was very proud of because in, in, at the end of the day, it's the combination of the vision from Steve Jobs with the iPhone and the vision of Edwin Land with the Polaroid film. So yeah. I always said, okay, I want to show this to Steve Jobs um, and because I think it's, it's the perfect end of a, of, a, of a, or the beginning of a story. And I really managed to be invited uh, to the Apple headquarters but um, it was, I think, half a year after Steve Jobs died. Oh. And um, so I made it to the Apple's headquarters and I presented the instant lab. But unfortunately, uh, Steve was not around anymore. He would have so loved that. I, I guess. It. Yeah. Yes. No, he, he really and, admired Land so much that he would have yeah, gotten it. Yeah, he would have gotten it for sure. But, um, you know, meeting, meeting these people... <clears throat> This is, you know, also, you know, um, Apple for me, even if I have to st- I struggle now with what they are doing now, these personalities, these people, you know, even if they're polarizing, I think this is very important also to connect the brand and the vision to, to reality. You know, I always tell my, my kids, just imagine you have to meet with Mark Zuckerberg and he's telling you, hey, give me all your private data and your pictures. I'm going to take care of him. You know, nobody would fucking subscribe to Facebook. Yeah. Wow, this weirdo. What? what? He's asking me for my private data. But because you're disconnected in virtuality, you know, say, wow, cool. Let's, let's be part of Facebook. It's crazy. You know, one of the, the bigger projects that we did at Super Nice Club that had the highest response rate was a pen pal program where we urge people to write to create pen pals with folks in senior retirement centers, sort of closer to the beginning of COVID when these people were first getting cut off. But pen pals, not by computer, right? But with pens and pencils and letters. Oh, nice. Yeah, more than any of our sort of all digital 
events or or uh, programs. The analog pen pal program was was the big hit so far at Super Nice Club. That's super nice. Yeah, no, it's great. Thank you, everybody out there who is who participated in that and is participating. In fact, if you're still participating, I would love to hear about it. Would you Would you reach out? Reach out to Super Nice Club and let me know how your pen pal program is going. I've been meaning to follow up on that, so this is my this is my official follow up. Doc, did you know that you're the first and still, let's see, yeah, you're still the only person, and you may not remember this, so, that um, I've let purchase one of my original Polaroids. It was of a dog, a little chihuahua. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trapped in a hot car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was at the Impossible headquarters. Yeah. I think, back then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So I still have it, you know. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you know how it is. You don't want to sell the original Polaroid. It's yeah. just not a, it's gone. It's, it's the only one of its kind. Um, yeah, you're the only one. So you have that, you have that great honor. <laughs> I'm going to be rich. You're my pension oh, fund. Absolutely. Absolutely wealthy. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to want to talk about this or not, but I want to point something out. When, um, when we were all purchasing and testing the impossible film that you were creating, all these different flavors, right? You had a great, your, your marketing was great. Your emails that were sent out, they, they felt sort of like an analog version of a, of a digital email or a digital version of an analog email. You know, they were very um, interesting. They were personal. They were well-written. And that the presentation as the emails were delivered was also, they were just beautiful. So each one was a treat to open. And that's a rare thing in the email world. It really is. You know, um, Super Nice Club newsletters are not memorable in any real way. You had memorable emails. And then when the moment that you left with whatever happened there, uh, it changed. And Polaroid became something that was, it just felt very sterile. And it lost me. It lost me overnight. And I was actually angry about it. I still get pissed off about it because there was a magical thing that you had, which was very rare, which was this giant potential brand, you know, Polaroid, big global corporate, um, if you were to grow it into that, yet still had this personal touch and it disappeared. I mean, and it's still to this day, it's disappeared. If you go to Polaroid.com and I still buy the film um, from time to time. It, it doesn't have the magic. Is that something that, that others have noticed? Is it just me? Is there a reason behind it? Did they feel like that just wouldn't reach enough people if you were too human? You know, I don't know. This is, this is always the question um, of how, how much compromises you have to take if you want to grow. Mm-hmm. And basically, the Impossible Project was created in the vision to show the world that passion and to show that you love what you do um, doesn't stand you know is you know that that's not just that's an important fact of of creating that Mm -hmm. Um, so you know our company was so crazy because you know from the very beginning our customers have been and were treated as our partners um, building the company, even you know, in this in the process of buying the first generation film, which was very complicated. So we 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 created like an open platform company, and we very much you know treated every customer like our partner, our co-producer, and we, we still do this with with SuperSense. And 
you know, this was one of the main problems with Polaroid when we, as we grow, as we grew, um, the, the people, you know, the, the new leaders are more and more scared to really be in touch with the customers, to, you know, to, to admit when they lose or fail, you know, it's, they, they have to, they started to build this wall um, of protection and they wanted to say, oh, Ah, we have to make the perfect film before we even can look into their eyes. They are very, very insecure on that. And again, this is not good or bad, but you know, at the end of the day, Polaroid became one of these other big global players that you don't feel, you know, that make it very hard to fall in love with. You know, um, it's it's like you know the difference between going to a grocery store and talk about the color of eggs or to go to a big chain of doing it. I still think, you know, there can be huge successful companies where you still feel the passion. And this was a little bit the trick of, of Steve Jobs because, you know, yeah. no matter how big it was, you just felt that this guy's loving his own products. Yes. And he's the body and the soul out of it. Yeah, and, um, yeah I think oh. that's... I think, you know, I think, you know, we just have to wait some years and they, then they're going to call me and offer me some billions to come back. And oh, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's, the same, easy. it's easy. It's easy. Same it's story, right? Job. Yeah, absolutely. Same arc. They still have some good people out there from way back, uh, which yeah. is why yeah, it surprises me that those good people yeah. haven't been louder to say, look, you know, um, we could be that special case company. And, you know, they're not. Polaroid, you're not right now. You're not, you're not special. I support you maybe 10% as much as I would if you would bring back, if you would just show even on your website through your, your posts that you are connected to the spirit of Edward Land. That's what's been severed. The spirit you know, what, what, has what been hurts cut. Me, what, what hurts me more than, you know, the spirit of Edward Land, you know, at the moment, the whole Polaroid history totally misses out the chapter that you know, the people like you and me, the Polonoiders, the, the impossible pioneer that, you know, we wrote together. You know, you don't find it on, on you know, it's like blanked out. And this no, is... No, it's, it's gone. That's why we need a documentary, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know. No, we, we don't need even, we don't need the documentaries. You know, we have it in our hearts. And, you know, yeah. thank you again for, for telling, you know, this story about Polonoid. Because this is... How I feel, um, and at the end of the day, you know, the material survived, and I, I'm still very positive that also Polaroid is gonna, you know, find out um, better ways to reconnect to this to these people out there. So, what's next for SuperSense? Do you have any other? Do you have any top secret projects that you can unveil, or anything coming up? You know, um, there is, you know, this phono cut machine. This is, you know, uh, this is one of the the top new things that we have going on um mm -hmm. we are still looking for investors um on on taking the next levels um we have the one instant there are very positive developments uh, regarding um some new stuff there and then oh, good. um most importantly i have this 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 crazy crazy vision um that you also will see at the end of the film in the documentary there is a a huge fantastic um, hotel um, out uh, in the middle of nowhere about one hour away from Vienna mm -hmm. that we definitely have to to purchase and turn into a super sense um, you know academy or school or hotel or oh. retreat for all you know for all the people 
and uh, to to start doing their stuff again um, and you know having courses for photography and music and their own fields you know a little bit the analog universe and lifting the super sense concept onto a whole grand hotel and fill it with new analog power you know that's that's very much in alignment with i guess just a few weeks ago jonathan ward his company is icon and he is just he's a master craftsman uh yeah, his, his, his cars he's yeah his cars but you know to make those cars he has to know leather to read to do these brand new interiors he has to know woodwork to make these new dashes and all this stuff he has a deep 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 love of craft and and he was talking about maybe on the podcast or maybe it was in a separate conversation how he would love to see exactly what you said this sort of uh university for craft right where people can come in and learn the because so many of these crafts you know they they go together if you want to build even like a car, you need to know leather, you need to know wood, cameras, right? Uh, my my yeah. uh, beautiful cameras often have uh, incredible machining, metalwork, along with woodwork, along with leatherwork, along with glass. You know, there's just so much that goes in. Um, let's get that built. Super nice club. Yeah. Let's just see if we can sponsor that. All right. So if, if I get a lot of money first then I'll work on helping you with the hotel. <laughs> if you get a lot of money first, then you can help uh, with Super Nice Club expanding throughout Europe. Is that a deal? Can we handshake that, on it right that, now? That, that's a deal, but you know, right. we, we don't need money to do that anymore. No, I know. Uh, funding and support. How about support? Let's change yes. money for support. Let's change money Absolutely. for support. So we wrap these podcasts with, with two things. The first is a Super Nice Challenge, which is where the guest gets to um, invite listeners to do something just some small challenge to make their world or the world a nicer place do you do you have a challenge that you can put out there you know my challenge is is very easy and it's the the main tag of whatever we're doing is you know start to trust your own senses so please you know the next time you wake up really you know forget your phone for the next hour but really try to smell feel and you know, inhale and absorb everything you know um, that that surrounds you um, especially use your nose because you know this is the most underrated uh, sense that we have and it, it's the most important one and the first one because it directly connects to the middle of your brain so advertising cannot influence it so it's it's the real you is you know is is your nose Advertising cannot influence that. That is, never thought about that, but it can influence all the other senses, can't it? Yeah, you know, it's, it's um, for, for ages, you know, and, and we don't know shit about it, you know. We even think that dogs uh, do smell much better than human beings, but in effect, you know, we have a bigger potential than dogs um, regarding the amount of different smell receptors, mm -hmm. but we just never started to learn it and use it. It could, you know, it could help us a lot. You know, for example, dating, the first thing you should do is, you know, smell each other parts. Yeah. Uh, and, you, you know, it's, it's the easiest way to find out if it's a good match or not, you know. Just do the sniff so, test. The sniff test. Yeah, okay. So if you're about to go on a date out there, <laughs> just, just take a big whiff when you go in for that first hug, okay? And then, and then just trust it from there. Do you have, okay, I like the challenge. I like the challenge a lot. Um, and as I do with, with all the challenges, I will, uh, 
I will take it upon myself as well. I'm always the first one to, to try the that's challenges. Good. So do you have a question for me? We also, that's the point where uh, we flip the script a little bit and the interviewee becomes the interviewer. Do you have a question? Yeah, of course. You know, it's also uh, in the same aspect. So I have to ask you, um, how does the super nice club smell? Hmm. How does it smell? That's a great question. Well, I would like it to smell like everybody on the planet <laughs> and all the animals and all the things. It, uh, hmm. How does it smell? I'm thinking it often to me smells like that, that warm t-shirt smell because I'm, I'm packing t-shirts into, uh, envelopes here and there. Yeah. Wow, doc. That's a very good description. It's a really good question. Um, but you know, it's, you know, it's it's the hardest question because we don't even have a language to express our, our smells, you know, this is also crazy. Only, only wine tasters have come up with some, some sort of description. But for ourselves, you know, yeah. if you ask me, what is the even what is the smell of a banana? The only thing you can say is it smells like a banana. Like a banana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Well, though it's true. Uh, in a f totally different lifetime, um, I was heavily involved in a winery project, and we had, and I saw, I saw it on your on SuperSense, we had that set of like 100 little vials, little glass vials with the different scents, right? Uh, and you open them up and you, and you smell them and there is an incredible array and you can, you can buy these kits from you, right? Yeah. SuperSense. These are really cool kits. I hadn't thought about this and this is just an impromptu plug, but these kits of all these different scents, they bring back memories, you guys. They really do. They're instant access to things like, oh my God, that was me with my dad when we were, you know, fishing when I was five. Wow. Uh, so these kits are these, they're these weird sort of um, memory hack kits. And some of them are, you know, you can get just like 10 cents. Some of them are very robust. So in the winery, we had these robust ones so that you could kind of get an idea. And some people are natural, what they would call in the wine world, um, super testers. Or super tasters, I think super tasters, which means just people who they drink a little wine and they can spit out, oh, that's elderberry and hay and they'll name, you know, pencil shavings, like all these different things really easily, where the rest of us sort of need to learn it by, by smelling these isolated compounds. I think, yeah, the super nice club smells like pencil shavings, definitely pencil shavings and thumbtack. I'm going with pencil shavings and thumbtack. So, Doc, um, I will keep thinking about what Super Nice Club smells like. That is a really great That's question, good. and I appreciate your time here. I really do. Good luck with everything at SuperSense. I can't wait to meet you out there. Yeah, thanks, Doc. Bye. Come on, troops, let's get some pictures. Yeah, me too. There are two ways to take pictures. The old way and Polaroid's one step. And look at the new SX-70 film, brighter color, and you see it twice as fast as before. Great! Share the fun while it's still going on with the simplest camera in the world. Dynamite! You ain't seen nothing yet. Nothing's coming out of your camera, man. Get the one step. And so there you have it, a super nice conversation with Florian Doc Caps. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you... Uh, 
found this conversation around analog and digital interesting. Maybe you didn't know that, that Polaroid was even still a thing or that there were so many of us that love taking Polaroid photographs or any film photos where you get a, a, a real world artifact when you're done with the process as opposed to just something on the screen. That doesn't mean that we don't appreciate digital at all. You know, of course, I prefer the fidelity of vinyl and wired speakers to, um, you know, Bluetooth sound systems because it sounds better. That's all. And I love things that sound better, but it doesn't mean that I don't love the convenience of having, let's say, Spotify, every track on there, even though I'm ripping off the artists. So if you have an artist you really like and you use Spotify or Apple Music, make sure you go to their band camp or to their sites if they're smaller artists and buy the records too from time to time. You know, get that's how they make their money and go to their shows. Let's support our musician friends. Uh, anyway, yeah, Doc is doing amazing stuff. Supersense.com. Check out all of the different things on Supersense. It's, it's a bit of a rabbit hole, that website. And it's, it's just, I think it's a beautiful thing to be working on making sure that we don't lose these analog technologies. And they are technologies, okay? And they're just as quote-unquote high technology as anything digital, just in a different way. Just in a different way. Gotta love them both. Anyway, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review it. We'd love it if you reviewed it. Gave it some stars and some happy words. Makes a difference. That's why every podcast, every podcast asks you to leave a review. Helps with traffic. Helps get um, guests who look at those and go, oh, I want to be on that podcast. Um, if, speaking of guests, if you know anybody that should be on Super Nice Club podcast, the Nice Work podcast, let me know. Reach out. You can hit us up through Instagram, Facebook, on the website, email. Uh, how else? Oh, through the, the uh, Insider text number, 310-421-0393. Would love to hear your feedback. We can only improve this through feedback, okay? And it's okay to have critical feedback too. Even, even if you're not nice about it, that's okay because it's all taken into account. <sighs> all right. Thank you so much for listening. Stay nice, everyone. Oh, I'm back. Hey, I almost forgot. If you're kind of taken with the idea of instant film and Polaroid photography and you want to get into it after listening to this podcast, reach out to me. I'll help you. I'll walk you through it. I might even have an extra Polaroid camera around that I can send your way. I've, I've given away dozens of Polaroid cameras over the years to people who have a genuine interest. And uh, at the very least, I'll help you find one for cheap on eBay that's the right kind to get that can maybe be easily retrofitted and I can show you where to get film and I would I would love to do that. That would be one of my super nice things to do this month for the people, uh, the members of the Super Nice Club. And if you're listening to this, that's you. So interested in instant photography? Reach out. I'll help you with that interest. Oh, I want to be nice. Don't you want to be Yeah.